And during those times when you wonder whether or not you can go on, when it's harder than it used to be, when you've experienced the power of God and you wonder, will you ever feel it again? He says you got to remember the mission. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. As we get back into our series we've been in the past few weeks and months, off and on, on prophets, priests, and kings, the word of the Lord, how it comes to us, and how we are to respond um, for today. If you remember, we had just gotten in the middle of David's life. David is considered the man who had a heart after God. He wasn't perfect, had a lot of challenges every day that he faced, but David ultimately decided to do what God wanted him to do. He gets to the end of his life, passes off the baton, to Solomon, his successor. Solomon's known as the wisest king who ever lives, and yet about a few years through his reign, he begins to become distracted, and he begins to go after the things of the world rather than the things of God. After Solomon comes the next king, Rehoboam. And during the time of Rehoboam, as a weak king, the kingdom is divided. And so the northern kingdom takes the ten tribes of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah takes the two tribes in the south, and sometimes these kingdoms are united against others, sometimes they are fighting among themselves in a civil war, but it's, it's never the same after that. Good kings rise up, bad kings rise up, every kind of king in between rises up, and God uses, during this time, his prophets to declare the word of the Lord to the people of God, and perhaps one of the most significant ministries in all of the Old Testament, at least one of the fascinating, from my perspective, is the ministry of Elijah. Elijah is given a spirit of anointing by God that, frankly, we just don't see all that often in other parts of Scripture. He is given that mantle of leadership by the Lord. He first appears on the scene in 1 Kings 17, and what he does is he spiritually forecasts the weather. He tells the king... It is not going to rain. If you won't listen to me, I'll use the weather to get your attention, God says. He does that, and there's something incredible about his ministry. He walks through to someone who is hungry and creates this type of miracle jar that will never run dry, kind of forecasting what had happened before, hearkening back to the days in the wilderness. He even raises someone from the dead. And then he gets to the prophets of Baal, who most of the people had gone after in that day. They had forsaken the true God after false gods, and he called down the fire from heaven. 400 prophets of Baal gathered together, said, let's have a contest between the God that you claim and my God, and let's see what happens. And so the prophets of Baal begin to prostrate themselves. They begin to castrate themselves. They begin to try to get their God's attention. And Elijah is mocking, calling after them. Maybe your God's taking a break. Maybe he's on vacation. Why can't your God hear? And so eventually, when they're unable to make the fire come down, Elijah stood up and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pour water on that altar as much as you possibly can. They pour it and they pour it and they pour it to make it as wet as possible. Because as you know, the wetter something is, often the harder it is to catch on fire. Elijah's doing something. He wants to prove that only God could do this. And I want you to notice what it is that he prays in 1 Kings. He doesn't pray, God, don't let me embarrass myself today. God, please show up in the hour of my need. He says, God, show him who the real God is. And the Bible tells us that in that moment, the fire came down and reigned from heaven. The 400 prophets of Baal were slaughtered. 
And Elijah actually runs so far ahead of everyone else that he beats King Ahab back to his spot. Ahab's got chariots. Elijah's just got feet that are anointed by the Lord. Beats him there. Elijah has this incredible ministry. He outruns all of the king's horses, all of the king's men, and yet at this instance, God has to come and put him back together again. Look at 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 1. We read about perhaps the most wicked king and queen in all of the Bible. In fact, God gives a description of Ahab through the Scripture a couple of chapters previously in 1 Kings 17, 33. I'll read that to you. Ahab made an Asherah, false god, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Now listen, you want a stat line in the Bible, that's not the one that you want. In other words, Ahab made God more mad and more angry than anyone else before him. And Jezebel wasn't much better. If you don't see any kids running around named Jezebel, if you didn't decide to name your daughters that, there's a reason why. It's because the wicked witch has nothing on her ministry. And in 1 Kings chapter 19 and beginning in verse 1, we see King Ahab and Queen Jezebel for who they are. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked. Behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake... But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. 
And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mehalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Listen to this. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I guess what most fascinates me about this passage is to have all of that power of God, to have all of that spiritual anointing, to have basically the Lord at your Beck and call. You want it to rain? Make it rain. You want it to stop raining? Stop raining. You want some fire? I've got some fire. To have that ministry to where you've sensed the power of God. Maybe you've been there. You haven't called fire down from heaven, but you've felt the power of God in your life. And I'm telling you, when the power of God is in your life, it is as if you are invincible. You're not, but it feels like it. You've felt the Spirit of God so working. You haven't had any miracle jars, but you've sure seen miracles in your life. Maybe there's a miracle that you're here today. Only God could have brought that about. And to have and to know and to experience and be with God, and yet this little word from a wicked witch, it's as if there is a feather on the cap of Elijah's ministry, and that feather just begins to fall over these blocks of God's word and just crumbles down his word. You think about this. He's got a James Taylor song literally in his hands. He's got fire on one hand. He's got rain in the other. And yet this one death threat, and it's as if he's been derailed. Now look, if you're going to live for God, if you're going to do any type of ministry, criticism is going to come with it. Doesn't mean you should be arrogant, doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to counsel and take wisdom, but if you don't like criticism, you need to go sell ice cream. Because if you live for the Lord, it is coming your way. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Elijah has heard criticism before. Surely he had felt it when they said he was just showing off. Surely when he did that miracle jar, someone said, well, if he had gone to the grocery store, we could have fed him that way, stimulated the economy. Surely he heard the word of the Lord over and against the cry of the people. And yet in this moment, this little word almost takes out his life. I like what Spurgeon said about it. He says it much better than I do. He says, See Elijah after the fire has fallen from heaven, after Baal's priests have been slaughtered and the rain has deluged the barren land. For him, no notes of self-complacent music, no strutting like a conqueror in robes of triumph. He flees from Jezebel, and feeling the revulsion of his intense excitement, he prays that he may die. He who must never see death yearns after the rest of the grave. Now the scripture is going to tell us that Elijah was translated that he should not see death. That is, God came down from heaven as a whirlwind of fire. I met a young boy during the 
fellowship time just a few minutes ago. His name was Elijah. His dad told me he's like a whirlwind all the time too. I can't control him. Elijah comes in. It's a chariot of fire. God takes him out. He never dies. But he sure asked to die. Right here. Man, he wanted to. It's Jacob wrestling with God all night long until he gets his blessing, but he walks away with a limp. It's Paul up there seeing visions that nobody else can see. It is as if he sees a glimpse into the third heaven. He gets on top of the universe, but when he comes back down, there's a thorn in the flesh waiting on him. I don't know if you've had this experience. I've looked back on times in my life when things were difficult in life or in ministry or whatever's going through. And sometimes when you're, you're going through it, you're not thinking about it. You're, you're basing things on your adrenaline. Perhaps you've seen videos of people who almost exhibit this superhuman strength at a time of an accident, a vehicle's on top of someone else, and strength that they didn't know or that they had just comes from the adrenaline. They're able to pick the vehicle up in time to slide someone out. A mother who would normally hesitate with everything that she's got because she doesn't like to swim will drown in order to rescue her child. It is as if in that moment of time, because you're not thinking about it, the power is there. That must have been what Elijah felt when the prophets of Baal came at him. It must have been what he experienced when he was out, able, able to outrun everyone in his life. That supernatural power and grace was there that when he looked back on it. He said, the only way this happened, the only sustaining power I have is from the Lord. That life is ultimately a series of peaks and valleys. Who hath ascended the mountain of the Lord, but who hath walked through the valley of the shadow of death? That your life will constantly be this series of up, down, up, down. Seasons where there's may, way more ups than downs. Seasons where there's way more downs than ups. But the valleys are there. And even the mountains aren't necessarily what they used to be because there's Elijah on top of Carmel seeing the valley and the mountain of the Lord, seeing the fire come down, but now he's at Horeb. And Horeb's a lonely place because the man who wasn't afraid to get in the face of the king is now scared to death of the queen. It's as if he, he just hits a wall. Someone pulls the plug on his ministry and he develops the most dangerous syndrome in all of humanity, which says, I only I, Lord. Nobody's ever had it as bad as me. Sociologists estimate that 20 billion people have lived on the face of the earth at one time or another throughout history. And nobody's had it as bad as you. Nobody's ever experienced what you've experienced. And Elijah begins to throw himself a holy pity party with God alone as the audience. And yet, rather than condemning Elijah, the Lord doesn't do that. He does some things that are very good for him. He makes him eat, he makes him sleep. And then he reminds him 
that he's not alone, and he enables him to complete his calling. I can see Elijah calling out all of these things. Look what he says in verse 10 of chapter 19 when God asks him, what are you doing here? He says, I've been jealous. Another word is zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even only I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. You can see him running through the list. Here's my resume of accomplishments, God, what I have done for you. I have been in ministry. I have called down the fire. I have healed the sick. I have raised the dead. I have given food. I have changed the weather. I have outrun the chariots and all of the horses. I have stood and declared the word of the Lord, and now they're seeking to tell my li- take my life. And you can hear God just respond as he often does in that still, small voice, Elijah, I'm not nearly as concerned about what I can do through you as what I need to do in you. I'm not nearly as worked up about as what I can accomplish through you as the work that needs to be accomplished in your life and in your soul. And he declares to him, Elijah, you're not alone. And you never have been. He says that to singles throughout this room, throughout this world, who say you have to be in a relationship, who dread getting on Facebook on Valentine's Day because you see all these pretty pictures and you wish you could be in one, who say, I'll be alone for the rest of my life. And the God of this universe says, you're not alone. Those of you contemplating a marriage going away, how will I make it? Widows and widowers who have lost loved ones. Do you feel like you're by yourself? It's supposed to get easier, isn't it? I found that it often gets harder. I had a conversation with uh, one of my pastor friends in ministry, and many of you know him, uh, Brother Wallace Gooch, came by my house on Friday. We're talking about several different things, and I always ask him, I say, Brother, what do we need to be about? What's some counsel that you can give to me as a younger pastor? And he always has a good word. And I just asked him this, because I've been asking people this a lot over the last couple of years. I said, I said, Brother Wallace, is it, is it harder now to do ministry, to be a pastor, or to just be a believer? Is it harder now than what it used to be when you just started out? He said, oh, it's much harder now. The culture has changed. It's more difficult to live for Christ. And the only thing that we can know during all of this time is that we're not alone. God says, Elijah, not only are you not alone, but there's some good people who have not bowed the knee. 7,000 people who Elijah would not have known about. And what Elijah sees in God is that he is not God's gift to ministry. And neither are you. That God uses us. That he wants us. That you are needed in the church of God just as you need the church of God. But ultimately the power is in him. I came across a number of letters that my pastor 
wrote early on in his ministry. I've got his papers and files from when he passed away, and I just had some time to go through them the other day. And this is what he wrote upon his resignation uh, from the first church that he pastored in Guthrie, Kentucky. This is August 1955. He's 25 years old. He wrote, We do not always understand the workings of God, but we do know that God has a way, and God has a will, and that he makes no mistake. We further know that God has a today, and then God has a tomorrow. He chooses one to be pilot of a ship for today, but then for tomorrow he chooses another. It is ours to bow humbly before the great sovereign in submission to his divine plan and will, ascertained that he knows best. God looks at Elijah and puts his calling on him and says, you're not by yourself. And during those times when you wonder whether or not you can go on, when it's harder than it used to be, when you've experienced the power of God and you wonder, will you ever feel it again? He says, you've got to remember the mission. And I want you to notice the very last phase of Elijah's earthly ministry, he spends the rest of his time realizing that it's not about him, that he's not alone, and he has to pass the baton. And so God sends him Elisha. And Elijah begins to pour into his life, so much so that Elisha says, I want a double portion of your ministry. And Elijah spends the rest of his life not worried about the impact he can make, but the impact he can make through others. To raise up a generation all in for Christ. Friends, we can't afford to do ministry by ourselves. We can't afford to think that we're all alone. We need the church of God. We need one another. We need the Lord. And we have to constantly be about the work of raising up a generation that's all in for Christ. And most of the time when we discover that is in our pain. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, God whispers to us in our well-being, but he shouts to us in our suffering. It is the megaphone of his voice. And when we go through valleys desolate mountains and we think we're alone the God of the Bible says we're not alone and he will sustain us if we'll trust in him hey guys thanks so much for listening to the broadcast if you found it helpful please consider sharing it with your family and friends for more information check us out online at barryefields.com